Thank you for listening to this special feature of ECDPM's Great Insights issue devoted to the green transition and climate adaptation in the run-up to COP26. We hope the conversation you're about to listen to gives you a better understanding of what still needs to happen for a truly green transition and effective climate adaptation. In this episode, ECDPM's Bruce Byers speaks with Her Excellency Dr. Habu Zaid, Commissioner for Infrastructure and Energy at the African Union Commission. Make sure to also check out the other conversations and articles in our Great Insights magazine. Enjoy! Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining. Um, I mean, to, to just jump in a little bit then and look at this sort of green transition and climate action, one of the first questions I had actually was whether you think green transition has the same, same meaning uh, around the world. Do you have a sense that when in Africa and within African countries people talk about green transition, people are talking about the same thing? Or when you speak to European counterparts, do you sense there's maybe some differences in terms of how people understand the concept of green transition and, and what it means? When you say transition, transition means that you are in a state and you are moving into a different state. And when we say green, means that you are in a non-green state and you want to move into a green state. But uh, people seem to forget that about 655 million Africans do not have access to energy to start with, I mean, to electricity. So they transit, they're not transiting. It is it's green access. So green transition, if you're, you have been using, for instance, fossil fuel, uh, and you want to move into greener uh, or green source of energy, then yes, we can talk about transition. And again, we in Africa are looking at them from, from a different perspective in the sense that reducing emissions, we have no emission no, to no. speak of. We're talking 2 or 3%, so it doesn't apply to, uh, yeah. to Africa. And uh, use of renewables, uh, as I always say, the, the goal that we both want to reach uh, is the same. Yeah. Uh, but the starting point is not the same. I have heard it being said that hydropower is not seen by some as as renewable as solar and wind. So it's, it's almost seen as something because of the investment and the physical infrastructure involved, it's, it's seen as less renewable than others. Uh, is that sort of something that you've come across and is that sort of part of this different understanding of what it takes to, to, to have this renewable energy and access? And you'd be surprised because sometimes I, I hear more progressive, if you will, understanding of what green is or usages of green in on the continent that elsewhere and or initiatives on this continent that are maybe uh, more advanced than other parts of the world. Mm. I mean, people seem to forget that uh, the two largest solar power plants in the world are in Africa, for instance. And that the, some of the some of the countries, 90% of the power used in Ethiopia is comes from a renewable source. Mm. So whether it's hydro, uh, solar, uh, green or blue hydrogen, they are all happening as we speak on this continent. Mm. And again, out of need. Uh, remember, this is not a luxury. We are uh, we are discussing here for for the continent. We are uh, really. I mean, our starting point is need and access. Mm. Now, you would say, so why did you use fossil fuel if renewables and renewables are 
readily uh, available and widely available uh, in the continent. I mean, all kinds of renewable uh, sources are available in Africa. Yes, but uh, economically, they were not as competitive as possible. Yeah. Now, they are competitive and sometimes even cheaper. Add to that that they are uh, uh, readily available, so they're not imported. So for all kinds of reasons, whether it's securing a, a resource and or economic reasons, I mean, financial reasons and technology, they are available. So now you would see and increasingly on the continent, you know, the will to to use and to capture and to, you know, to harness this, uh, the renewable sources. Well, I mean, that's in a way that's nice because it brings us to the sort of the second big set of questions, which was therefore the role of the AU, because of course the African Union, you, you've come up with the Resilience and Recovery Action Plan. There are various other strategies which all sort of include an element of renewable energy uh, and, and dealing with climate change. I guess sort of one of the big questions is, to what, what are some of the main challenges that you face as the African Union in this domain? And what you said was that there's a lot of innovation there are a lot of things happening, which I guess are at the national and the local level. So it's sort of what what are some of the key priorities, but also the challenges for the African Union then in kind of trying to build on these and to try and sort of increase this access. Of course, there is always the um, the, the financial challenge because mm. we're talking. I mean, this is a huge continent, and the needs are are huge. Hence, you know, the the financial uh, the financial needs for energy programs on the continent uh, is big. We we spend about $6 billion on renewables a year, whereas the need is for $36 billion, which means we do have mm. a financial gap of about $30 billion a year when it comes to renewable energy. And there's another challenge. I mean, and, and the other challenge is also the for other modes of, uh, uh, for other infrastructure. Remember, I am not only dealing with energy, I also have other yeah. infrastructure. We have... Uh, very large programs for infrastructure on this continent because we are building our infrastructure. Mm. So yeah, we're talking about tens of billions being spent every year on roads, railways, I mean, and, and so on and so forth. And comes one, one hurricane or flood and then washes away yeah. whatever uh, that has been built. So that, that, that is very serious. That is mm. very serious. So not only we, we, use, uh, we, we lose valuable lives uh, in, in every time any of these catastrophes uh, hit the continent, but also economically we, we lose many of the gains and or specifically the infrastructure that we've built. And that was supposedly, you know, were meant to, to last for several decades. They are washed away. So th that is a major challenge. Hence, in our the program for infrastructure development in Africa that was approved uh, in February of this year, mm -hmm. one of the critical uh, criteria for selecting the projects uh, is to ensure that they are climate resilient. Mm -hmm. And the climate climate resilience in infrastructure is a big thing, and it's not technically easy. So there is also the technical challenge and financial challenge when it comes to a building climate resilient infrastructure in the continent. So not only harnessing, you know, the benefits of climate friendly technologies, but also building climate resilient uh, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the, I mean it's, it's interesting you mentioned the financial challenge and the technical challenge. 
And I also saw, I mean, one of the broader challenges I, I've, we've, we've looked at in the past for sort of the way that the African Union manages to work, I think it's, it's changing. And I know we know that the reform process is also sort of basically trying to build up uh, member state ownership. But I wonder, and I saw also there was in one of your own speeches, you mentioned the importance of country ownership. Do you see that in climate related uh, issues that sort of it's easier to get country ownership because of there's a sense of, of, of threat? Specifically for these matters, I mean, for these issues, when it comes to climate, climate is, uh, is, is not and cannot be tackled by one country uh, on its own. It has to have, you know, e either a regional and or continental approach and yes, global approach as well. That is why also we are engaging yeah. globally, either with Europe and or the rest of the world. And you are, we are very much at the heart and uh, engaging, you know, very strongly in, in the various fora when it comes to that. One, because we are the ones who are most affected. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody else, you know, we, we are unfortunately paying for mistakes that we did not make. And we are the ones that who are, you know, the most affected on the one hand, but also looking uh, uh, forward, we want to be, you know, active player in order to make sure that we contribute this uh, to, to this important agenda, knowing one, the benefits it can bring, because it's, it's also an economy that brings millions of job, jobs to Africa. Remember yeah. that, that as well, it's an economy of its own. Two, uh, it, it can, you know, help us also sensitize the world on the, the negative implications uh, that can, you know, occur. Mm. No, no, uh, the, I see, so that the, the, there's that kind of the stimulus is, is high and it's, I mean, what we've been looking at is precisely what are some of the, the incentives for regional cooperation and also trying in a way to, I mean, or maybe this is a question as well. I saw, for example, the, the launch of the single electricity market uh, very recently. Um, and looking at some of the other power pools that we see around, which have the same objective, some of the challenges faced there, do you see the, the sort of the single electricity market as, as managing to overcome some of those challenges or you, or you see it sort of as, as, as a sort of bringing a, to a new level so it, it somehow changes the dynamics? The power pools are still part and parcel and pillars of this uh, uh, of the single electricity market mm -hmm. rather is to instead of only looking at a region we want the whole continent to be uh, connected and again to use the different and diverse resources that we are having across the continent with the benefit of all. you see the cfta as being an effective lever for climate action i mean if we bring this back to the the, the topic of of green access or green transition and and climate action more generally is the CFTA sort of in some ways a tool to help uh, sort of provide this access? And in order for the CFTA to uh, uh, to operate, it has to have a product. And, and the product means that you have to industrialize and or create this product, whether it's industrialize a product that's manufactured and or a service that you are producing. So one or the other. So it's a service mm. or, a, or a product. For either you need electricity yeah. and for either in order even to communicate, you need digital. And I will add the third layer, it has to be transport. So whether it's energy we're talking about, digital, transport, they are the three elements without which we cannot even talk about any trade. Mm.
which means that AFCFTA should catalyze the digitalization, should catalyze the uh, industrialization, and hence, you know, the need for electricity will be greater, and also the uh, for transport will be will be greater. And I know it's not the subject of our discussion, but transport is another sector that's also essential for that AFCFTA to be op- to operate. And vice versa. Especially in the green side. Yeah, exactly. The vice yes. versa side. Yeah. And, and vice versa. I mean, the energy will be will be catalyzed by the fact that there is more demand. So whether you, you talk from the demand side, the supply side, within a context of a intra-African trade, definitely they mutually reinforce each other. They mutually uh, uh, catalyze each other. And you may say, yeah, but this applies to any energy. Yes, but. I did start by saying in the very beginning that we cannot, on this continent, we cannot afford not to use every resource that we have. Yeah. Because the need is so great and so important and is needed so fast that we cannot just afford that we have, you know, this massive resource like solar. We cannot uh, afford to ignore we have this massive resource like gas and gas, if you do not know, 900 million people on this continent still use coal and biomass and the mm. uh, mm. firewood for, for cooking, for instance, on a continent that is full of natural yeah, gas. For sure. Okay. So that's climate so, and health again, as you were saying as well. Yes. So we cannot just ignore it. I mean, from your perspective and, and looking at the investment needs, what is the view of attracting European investment uh, or, or any foreign I, investment? I, is it seen as necessity I, I, or is there some sort of weariness as well? Of course it is a necessity. I mean, uh, listen, there is one country in the world that will say the external investment is not important. But does it not exist? <laughs> does not True. exist. Well, whose investment maybe becomes <laughs> exactly, a question? Exactly, because... but uh, actually we, we are keen on attracting African investment, mm. uh, private investment, as we are keen also on attracting non-African uh, investments from all uh, kinds of sources. I mean, uh, already public uh, public uh, budgets, uh, African public budgets, I mean, spend a lot on, uh, on infrastructure at large, uh, but we also want to encourage the African uh, private sector. Beyond the investment, what with an EU, in a future EU-AU partnership, what would be the most useful for this? I mean, thinking, especially with a climate view, what do you think would be the most useful basis for a partnership with the EU here? So I think the basis for the, the, the work and the going forward with the EU should, should be, you know, the welfare and the well-being for all. That, that is shared prosperity. Under shared prosperity, you can put everything, including mm. climate. It's, yeah. it's also health, it's safety, it's security, it's, uh, it's technology. So it's, but it's, it's the welfare of all. And then at the end of the day, I mean, I could be, I could be having the same discussion here uh, about digitalization, how it's important for all of us to be connected and yeah. how is, we would all benefit if we are both connected mm. uh, because we stand both to, to reap the benefits. What would be your main message for the international community on the road to this COP26? And uh, sort of what would be a kind of key outcome that you would like to see if we, if we sort of bring it back to uh, the climate side of things and what you were just saying um, in terms of green transition, green access? I think the main message is, is to use the same moment, momentum, the same, same mobilization we have seen um, happening around, around COVID-19 and rightly so. 
that I, I would like to see the same mobilization and the same commitment yeah. uh, in implementing the climate agenda and the same sense of urgency as well. The same sense of urgency. Yeah. I mean, COVID uh, struck what? It was March 2020. By December, yeah. we were having a vaccine. Yeah. By yeah, no, December, no. we were having a vaccine. So there was this sense of urgency. Exactly. So what okay. I would like to uh, to, uh, to is the the same mobilization, the same collective action, the same partnership, but also the same sense of urgency should be also observed and and used when it comes to uh, uh, the climate agenda. Thank you very much again for for agreeing to speak to us. It's an honor for us at ECDPM. Thank you again for uh, inviting me to share a few thoughts.